right, all right. This one's for all you loners out there. Those eccentrics, a.k.a. weirdos, who buy a solitary concert ticket, play on seesaws without a partner in the dark, generally march to the beat of their own drummer. It's going solo night on the perfect playlist. I'm D-Pro. He's JD. How you doing, buddy? Feeling lonely? Feeling solo tonight? <laughs> hey, speaking of solo, Paul McCartney went solo. You and I are going to see Paul McCartney this June. We are going to see Paul McCartney this June. Hopefully it will turn out better than the first time. I think it will. Yeah. We've Is got that, 10 years behind us. Long, long-time listeners of the podcast will remember that JD just had a few too many and just started heckling McCartney in the middle of his set. Yes, and you and everybody, <laughs> everybody with an earshot. <laughs> it was a pretty crazy experience, but yeah, I'm excited about that. And Paul McCartney is certainly a, a great example of an artist who was in a very, some would say, popular band in the Beatles and went off on their own and had um, success in their own right. So we're going to be talking about songs from artists who had success after they left their popular band. Yeah, I'm just happy to not be talking about Bruno today. Let's put it that way. Oh, the, the Bruce, in- Bruce Willis, you mean? Or the or the movie <laughs> Bruno? <laughs> I'm talking about the Encanto soundtrack. Uh, it's just the, the song We Don't Talk About Bruno is number one on the Billboard Hot 100 right now from the movie. I'm finally, like, entering the new, uh, new era of my parenting mm-hmm. because... I'm missing out on the stuff that now you were getting full thrust all the time. Man, you're so lucky. This song is everywhere. This soundtrack is everywhere. And it's a great movie. It's it's awesome. But it's just too much of a good thing right now. Yeah, I had that with Frozen, so I know where you're you're coming from, brother. Same deal, man. Same deal. We are The Perfect Playlist. I am D-Pro. He's JD. Check us out on Twitter at The Perfect PL or on Instagram at The Perfect Playlist Pod. So before we get into the playlist, JD... Mm -hmm. We're all talking about going solo. So that got me thinking about things that we do or people do by themselves that some other people may find odd. Okay. So do you have anything that you do, and we already know one of them, let's keep it PJ so we don't have to go there, (laughs) that you prefer to do by yourself that other people might find odd? I prefer going to the movies by myself. That's on my list too. Yeah, I do. I prefer that. Uh, I've done that numerous occasions. My friend's taste in movies sucks. Absolutely sucks. Yeah. This isn't me being an elitist. Like, my friends would want to go see the the popcorn movies. And meanwhile, like, sometimes I like a little artsier. So I I have to go by myself to do that. And also, you can't, it's not like you're having full blown conversations. You're not sitting on your couch with them. No. So, what's the point of having a bunch of people with you? Yeah, exactly. I'm with you there. Uh, For me, going shopping is one. I absolutely love whether it's. The other day I went to the record store. My wife my wife was like, how did you go to the record store for like an hour and a half? I'm like, it's great. I spent oh. all this time and I talked to the owner and yeah, then I was listening to conversations other people were having. And you're it's, digging trying to find that like hidden gem in the bunch. It's, it's all part of the rite of passage of being in a music store. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also nobody can nobody can question you. Nobody can say, oh, what are you looking for that for? What are you shopping for pants? You don't need pants. You can just go at you your own pace. You get those kinds of questions when you shop with someone else. Yeah, what are you shopping for pants for? You don't need pants. I just got you your pants. You don't even like carrots. Why are you picking up the baby carrots? Put them down. It's complete, complete autonomy. Being it's able complete to do autonomy. whatever you want, Who doesn't whatever love you that? want. I've even been to a few concerts by myself because for the same reason. My friends of mine don't like the same bands that I do. Not many people do. Oh, we know one of them because you mentioned that on the podcast before, right? Right, yes. Good old JT. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Had some interesting experiences at that one. Uh, but um, I've been to a bunch of others by myself and kind of met cool people who just kind of sense that you're by yourself and 
Uh, as long as you're not creepy or threatening, people will engage you. And next thing you know, you're doing a shot at the bar with them. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So thanks for listening, everybody. We are coming up on one year of the Perfect Playlist. So happy birthday to us, uh, the month of March, which is when this is coming out. It's our fucking birthday. So wish us a happy birthday. <laughs> Give us and Wish us a happy birthday uh, by uh, giving us five stars on Apple and... Uh, yeah. Have you enjoyed doing this podcast with me, JD? Yes, of course I've enjoyed it. It's I think it's brought us closer together, which is, uh, as you know, a magical thing every time it happens. But it's hard to do. Just when we thought we were as close as we were going to get, boom, <laughs> more magic happens. So Even more committed and tied tied <laughs> even, down to you. Even Ebro. more committed and tied. So, so as much as we're talking about being solo tonight, together, we are going to curate a list of 10 great songs in our heads anyway that feature artists that went off on their own and did it successfully. So our first one on the playlist, it's a very, very good one. Iggy Pop, he was in the Stooges. He broke off in the mid-70s for this gem. Here's Lust for Life. There, there he is. What a great opening track, JD. I yeah. Mean, what's funny is I've never seen Train Spotting. No. I know that's okay. going to come across as a cardinal sin to a lot of people who have good taste in movies. To 90s kids, it would, yes. Definitely. Now you're okay. By now, you're good. Yeah, but I cannot hear this and not think of the opening scene because I d- I've seen that. I've seen the opening scene. And oh, this yeah. is a great song to start anything with, and uh, specifically that, that, that scene in Train Spotting. It's, it's, it's great. Iggy Pop, the shirtless wonder. Um, what a <laughs> hard life he's led. In and out of rehab his whole life. I mean, this song is about his lifestyle as a hard-living heroin addict who loves drugs and pleasures of the flesh just as much as he loves life itself. Yeah, I mean, Iggy has... <laughs> Iggy not wearing a shirt is kind of becoming a point of contention for many people. Yes. Because it got to a point where it's like, this is weird, and now it's like, now it's kind of endearing. Like, there's this old... <laughs> rickety man who's not wearing his shirt he's in his 70s now and shirtless still all leathery skin and all so earlier today my wife and i were talking about i forget what we were talking about but i I wanted to say whoa you know so i looked up whoa in the gifts and i sent her a whoa gift and it was a picture of it was a gif of iggy with a mic saying whoa and he Uh actually he actually was wearing a shirt believe it or not wow and she just replies who is that creepy man Creepy. (laughs) It's Uncle Iggy. His eyes are kind of bulgy, and he's like got alligator skin. He is a creepy-looking guy. But uh, David Bowie co-wrote this with Iggy. The two of them were trying to clean up and get out of rehab, going in and out of rehab together. Um, And so they both found it um, a relatively sober time in their lives to put this piece together. Uh, This was his first solo album, 1977, after the Stooges broke up. Uh, in the mid-70s, the Stooges' last show, I, I believe as music lore has it, they got into a fist fight with a bunch of bikers that were on their stage or near their stage. That was their last show they ever played, basically brawling with a biker gang. And it sounds kind of fun for a punk band, like a true punk band. That seems oh, rather yeah. fitting, right? Indeed. Is Indeed. this song, when Figgy Pop dies today, is this the song that's most synonymous with him? Possibly this or uh, Passenger might be. It's a tough call. Uh, depends how much of a music purist you are. In the pop's eyes, I think yes. on a global scale, this is this yep. is the song. Right? Global scale, I, you're right. I do think which is this crazy is to think of what he did with the Stooges. 
Yeah. And how they were like a trailblazing punk band. Yeah, indeed. Right? Yeah, they are a trailblazing punk band. And so very influential, I think, so much so that if you hear Jets' Are You Gonna Be My Girl, they totally ripped this song off. If you think about the drums and everything. Never thought of that until now. Jet went ahead and claimed, no, we didn't rip off Lust for Life. We ripped off Can't Hurry Love's drum beat. And it's like, okay, bro, whatever you say. <laughs> but um, I mean, he's just one of the coolest rock stars of all time. I don't mind if it shows up in a commercial, this song. I'm too busy marveling all over like how cool of line of like, I'm worth a million in prizes is and letting Iggy's charisma kind of take over to, to really give a care about how a 45 year old song is used in corporate America today. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so just last note on Iggy before we move along, his solo career is still going. He's in his seventies. He teamed up with Josh Homme, members of Queens of the Stone Age a few years back, a successful solo album that was Grammy nominated. And then recently, a figure skater danced to I Want to Be Your Dog, the Stooges song. One, she ended up winning a silver medal. Really? So just in the recent Winter Olympics. Yeah, as of two weeks ago. So, wow. That's the only way you're going to get me interested in the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Playing Iggy and the Stooges. Love it. Our second song on the playlist is a Deep Row choice. Man, one I still love hearing. It never ages. To this day, I love hearing it. Listen to that. Listen to this lick. I can hear this all day. <laughs> It's The Boys of Summer by Don Henley from 1984's Building the Perfect Beast. Peaked at number five on the Billboard Hot 100. Still relevant today, JD. I heard it. Played on 101.1 on the way over here. Still never get tired of hearing it. It's The Boys of Summer. Very few vocalists can get away with that so seamlessly as Don Henley does. So the song is about looking back on your youth, entering middle age. Sadly, we can really relate to this now, J.D. Mm. All right. Uh, originally intended uh, for Tom Petty yes. as a single, you know, written by Heartbreaker Mike Campbell, which you can easily hear, by the way, especially in the, in the phrasing and the chorus and everything. You can hear how Tom would have how it would have worked. Yeah. I think this would have been one of his signature songs had he done it, maybe top three. Yeah, by all accounts, Tom Petty rejected it because it uh, used the drum machine. And so that was a little bit of foreign to Petty um, and Jimmy Iovine. Is that how you say his yeah. name? The producer? Um, he wasn't feeling it either. Uh, you know, songs around this time like Eyes Without a Face, Aha's Take On Me, those are songs that were really using the drum machine. So I don't think Petty wanted any part of the current trend. Um, I get that. I totally get it too. But, you know, those two guys said to, to Henley, like, why don't you take this? And Henley took the demo, rode around in his car, wrote the lyrics in his head, came back, worked on it with Campbell. Yeah. And, and Petty did mention he does regret passing up on this song. Wow. He did confirm that. That's interesting. Do you remember, JD? Um, I sometimes I sometimes record songs and send them to you. Yes. Because you're like my bar. When I'm not sure, like, sometimes I, I truly don't care, like, what anybody thinks. I just like this. I'm going to put it out there. And I know this sounds pretty good. And sometimes I am not entirely sure, like, and I need, like, this the rubber stamp of approval from JD. So I recorded it and sent it to you. Mm -hmm. And um, 
you have a diplomatic way of saying when you don't like something, you don't just say like you suck or that sucks. There's or that's value garbage. in every song. I, I think yeah. there's value in every song. I really do. It's so, just a matter of tweaking it. I don't know if you remember this, but I sent yeah. it to you and you wrote and you wrote back and you said, well, you can, <laughs> well, you can, you can hit the chorus notes, but just keep this between us and leave this on your phone. You remember you said, oh, no. leave it on your phone. And I remember it like not even being upset. I was just thought that was the funniest way of putting it. That's pretty cold. Keep this on your phone. <laughs> wow. I even surprised my, you're surprising me with that one. Wow. Oh man. This but, should not see the light of day. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that by the way. But it's, it's like, it, just because you can hit the notes doesn't mean you should release it. It's like Roseanne Barr hit the notes in the national anthem, kind of. That's how I feel about the Dave Matthews band. Just because you can play 90 instruments doesn't mean you should play them all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. back to Don Henley. How do you feel about him continuing under the Eagles brand without Glenn Fry? Do you yeah, care? Yeah, so let's let's paint that out for those that don't know. Don Henley, drummer of the Eagles, yep. left the band after they broke up. Um I'm okay. You know, that's that's the way music is now. It's like they're continuing. Steve Perry's not even in Journey, but their Journey, you know, yeah. it's like... Queen it's, with Adam Lambert. Yeah. They don't have much choice in the matter, but... <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not like STP without Scott Weiland, same kind of deal. Yeah. And the Eagles, same thing. Glenn Fry's gone. As long gone. as you have a core of the band and you can continue, people know that you're not the same band. Allison Chain, same thing. Um, some are able to carry it on with more merit than others. It's cool. I'm fine with it. It's right. It's, it's what modern music is now yeah but don henley though i mean this is his second solo album so he prolific solo performer one that kind of struck me as a surprise once i started digging as a solo artist henley had over 10 million albums sold worldwide eight top 40 singles won two grammy awards one for this one um geez I, yeah I, man that's a, he's like a sleeper solo artist and he was very much like mom rock like, he was yeah. playing in my mom's car all the time to the point where it wasn't until the early 90s that I even became aware of who the Eagles were. Mm. You know, was, at okay. that point, I was like 12, 13. I'm like, oh, my, that's the same guy. That's right. I heard Hotel California. I said, this guy sounds like Don Henley. Yeah. Oh, it is Don Henley. Four years after the Eagles broke up, he, he put out his first solo album. Um, the Eagles, speaking of last shows, last formal show, first time around for the Eagles, they broke up on stage. A fight broke out between Don Felder and Glenn Fry on stage so really yeah look into that man it's it's an interesting story so that's straw that broke the camel's back you could say to to be clear jd if it, just to go back to the the queen stuff and stp yeah if we broke up i wouldn't still call this podcast the perfect playlist if i went on without you okay i'd call it like the perfect playlist with kyle or whoever the new co-host <laughs> <With> kyle <laughs> sublime with rome yes sublime with rome yeah the perfect playlist with kyle <laughs> Kyle. Now featuring Kyle. <laughs> Yo, remember yeah. back on the bully when cats used to harmonize like. Yeah. Yo. Can I get a lyric sheet for that, JD? <laughs> no idea. Something about harmonizing cats. Meow. <laughs> there was cats involved in this track. <laughs> Lauren Hill, former Fuji, broke out onto her own one of the greatest. Albums of the 90s. This is Do Wop That Thing, Lauren Hill. Three weeks since you were looking for your friend. The one you let hit it and never called you again. Remember when he told you he was about to bend your man? You act like you and him, they give him a little trim to begin. Now you think you really.
really gon' pretend Like you wasn't down and you called him again Plus when you give it up so easy you ain't even fooling him If you did it then then you probably I love the production in this one, JD. Really cool. Yeah, the first and apparently the first single ever to debut at number one by a female rap artist. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I thought that I was really that. neat. Yeah. yeah, Lauren Hill wrote this song, her debut single, uh, nineteen ninety eight. This came out as Deepro said, right to number one. Eleven Grammy nominations for this album. Speaking of first, the first hip hop record to receive that many. It won five, making Hill also the first female artist at that time to win that many. So, man, I mean, you want to talk about just coming out of a group that was that was very well critically received and received by the populace, and then just kicking the door down, kicking another door down. Lauren yeah. Hill absolutely did that with this song and this album. Yeah, and you said that she 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 came right out of the gate. Right after she left the Fuji, she came out and nailed with this one, right? I think that's probably the case. Either you come out of the gate right after your band's broken up and you come out strong and you hit it. You hit yeah. the ground running or you sputter right away. Yeah. You know, there's just just like one or the other. And she certainly nailed it here. I'm surprised she that her career didn't age like a fine wine, like I kind of expected it to. I don't know the whole story there, too. There's conflicting reports uh, and whatnot, um, but she recorded wrote and produced this on her own she brought in only one other producer to help her um so this is all almost diy to a certain degree yeah and yeah to that point Depro, that she's only released one technically one studio album before going into hiding but when that album ends up being a modern classic like the miseducation of lauren hill was and still is uh of its genre you just kind of give that respect and like okay if you're going to take a swing and, and, and retire, this is quite a swing. You know what this reminds me of, J.D.? It yeah. reminds me of how, in a league of their own, Gina Davis only plays one season for the for the Rockford Peaches, and then she still makes their Hall of Fame, even though she just played one season. It's the same thing, apples to apples. <laughs> she played one great season. She used to be my playground, too. <laughs> but Gina Davis or Lauren Hill, I don't know. Formed in New Jersey, though, the Fugees. They were groundbreaking. They had uh, Caribbean-influenced hip-hop. As you hear, horns, 12-string guitars. Like, they do all sorts of funky things that are um, folk rock adjacent, etc. Like, it's just cool, man. So, while together, the three of them and the Fugees only released one album themselves with the score in 1996. And... You know, other songs on this album, Miseducation of Lauren Hill, other songs like Lost Ones, Everything is Everything. A song um, title that always was perplexing to me. Everything is Everything? Yeah, what's that? Yeah, exactly. What's that mean? <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> uh, and then my personal favorite, the amazing ballad X Factor, is just an absolute standout track for me on this album. And love the element of cool this song brings. So, But she apparently had kind of... I don't want to say an attitude problem, but we can call it that. You know, like, apparently, she would make people wait for hours to see her, and she kind of was stuck up. And yep. maybe it's just from working with White Club Jean for so many years. I don't know. Yeah, just, just get tired of <laughs> everything. <laughs> the bullshit. Yeah. Um, but One yeah, time. she she's a recluse at this point. She's slowly become like a Brian Wilson esque figure in music, and she has made some odd and brave decisions. I think in her career. To your point, echoing that, I wouldn't pay to see her in 2022. I don't want to wait several hours for her to show up, but I damn sure would think about it, though. I'd think about it, but you got, yeah. what, like one and a half, like I guess two albums, the Fuji's album and your own album mm -hmm. to perform? Yeah. 
Maybe she does the Weezer thing and just does a whole bunch of covers now. Maybe she just do standards. She does the Rod Stewart route and just has a whole bunch of corny, like, crooner standards. Yeah. Yeah. Fly me to the moon. Shit like that. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. <laughs> Hello, my dark time girl. All of me. Why not take all of me? Just goes full cabaret. <laughs> <laughs> cabaret Lord Hill. What a twist. This next one, former Genesis member, though now current again, right? They're, they're back on <laughs> They tour. always come back full circle, Jay. Yeah, so Genesis member Phil Collins busting out onto his own with a massive, massive hit. I mean, is this like the biggest, like, debut solo guy? Like, is this like the greatest example of a guy who was successful in a band that went off on his own having success right off the bat? This might be the best example of that. It could be. Um, man, 1981, you come out with an album like this, uh, to put out a colossal hit. I mean, one of the most ominous tales in music history, yeah. rumored about songs in rock history. Uh, wow. Phil Collins here's in the air tonight. I can feel it, Collins in the air tonight. Deeper said something was, a lot more colorful. I was <laughs> off mic. I was singing something in my pants tonight. <laughs> I am a, I am a child in a man's body. <laughs> but yeah, it was as as JD was referencing, which uh, I had a buddy of mine who told me that they did they had not heard this backstory. Which I'm like, I please show me the rock you've been living under for the past like 50 years. Everyone knows at least one of five backstories about this song. <laughs> I think the most popular one is that. Phil Collins saw his friend drown and some some man was there and didn't help them and then he invited that man many years later to a concert and sang this song to him. Yeah, I Be think that's probably the most popular one. Because the lyrics fit that narrative. Yeah. Yeah, I think another one I heard is that um, he witnessed someone rape his wife and then drown said man. Holy shit, I've not heard that one. Yeah. Uh, and then he was a boy As a young boy He was too small To help a drowning victim And so that Always like Stayed in his nightmares So there's So many theories On this Do you know Deeper Do you know the Like the resolution To like What is this song about I heard it's a, I heard it was like Lyrics he came up with Like during the divorce To his wife Yes This whole album Is Usually based, Yeah That's uh, why it's so great Usually like Divorce leads to Great content Yeah Unfortunately right I mean, I think even Eminem referencing this song in Stan. Um, he does. <laughs> the fact that he did that, even like for a whole new generation and a different generation of music listeners, reinforced the wackadoo story here. Yeah. So. This, this song for me is like the Blair Witch of the music world. Because for a while, people, everybody believed that it was true, that the crazy story was true. Yeah. And now there's some people who still kind of believe and that's what makes it so fascinating. But they were all spread by word of mouth then in the mid-90s. There was just chat rooms and message boards started showing up on the internet. So it's often a topic of debate. But Phil himself said, I quote, I can promise you it's not what you think it's about. I don't even know what it's about. The song's about one thing, JD. Yeah. It's about the greatest goddamn drum fill 
in music history, and it's coming right up. Got to take a pause for the cause and play, gotta that, take a play pause. that moment. And I don't care where you are. You stop what you're doing and you do air drums or you play it on your steering wheel, whatever. Those are the moments. And we're going to do an episode, JD, about best moments in music. Yep. And that's, that's you know, we may have to have this song on twice. It may be the first <laughs> double, you know, uh, you know, double duty song on the podcast history. But so Peter Gabriel left Genesis sort of by default. Phil Collins and stepped in. He was a drummer and took on lead singer duties. Um, I talk to you sometimes about unlikely rock stars. Yes. Billy Corgan, Lou Reed. Uh, Phil Collins really definitely fits that bill. Yeah, I think On so. paper, just the look of Phil Collins right. did not seem like somebody who would be this megastar. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Going back to that drum break, though, if you start it at 11.56.40, the drum break will hit at midnight on New Year's Eve. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that after New Year's, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been cool to do. But I remember... Um, he played this song with his son's like uh, middle school band. No. Yeah, and his son's now like Jenna's like he's like um, Phil Collins is touring drummer. Yep, mm-hmm. he's a really good drummer, and um, <laughs> and they nailed it and everything, and and then he played it on I think Fallon and one of the Roots, the house band there. Yep. So um, and Questlove did did the did the drum fill and like he's got this big smile on his face afterwards, and it's just cool to see for those moments that we all feel the same way about this stupid drum fill <laughs> just feels good the song though transcends i mean nfl players work out to this song ray lewis would listen to this before coming out to the tunnel and doing that stupid dance he used to do oh yeah uh steelers uh it's a notorious locker room song for them even steph curry has a video out of him lip syncing to it it transcends and all right everybody loves this song how about mike tyson and hank in the hangover there you go <laughs> yep there you go it's in pop culture it's yeah. everywhere. It's unden- it's undeniable. This song captured our imagination, not just with the, f- you know, what the hell is he talking about? Did he kill someone? Did he watch someone drown? But it captured our imagination in the sense of everyone just thinks it's so damn cool. This is his signature song, Phil Collins. This is the song that made him a solo star right out of the gate. His wife actually had an affair with the, the decorator. And so the interior decorator. So that's what caused Phil to leave Genesis the first time and write these songs and this whole album. So we have this interior decorator to thank for this song? We do, because (laughs) he then performed this song on the UK pop show, Top of the Pops, with a pot of paint and a brush on a workbench next to his keyboard as a message to his wife. Oh, a message. Was there like like a knife next to it, too? (laughs) Big red X on the front. And he said, uh, he's like, oh, the bench was, I use that for my keyboard stand. He thought it would make a nice prop. He said it was strictly a coincidence. His ex-wife then said, I feel sick and betrayed. I knew straight away it was a message to me. Talk about petty. Talk about being betrayed. You Didn't you cheat with the interior decorator? Yeah, yeah you know, he put a little, put a second coat on that. <laughs> it deserved it. Deserved a second coat. So, J.D., we're not only talking about songs that we like, but often on this podcast, we talk about the flip side of that. It's time to rock. It's time to rap. It's time for the mashed potato attack. Here it is. Deep Row, I'm one of those like so bad it's good guys. I actively seek out like bad movies, bad songs, and I immerse myself in them. 
And what this is right here is D.D. Ramon. I had to put this on here. D.D. Ramon, the former bass player from the Ramones, doing his version of mashed potato time. <laughs> this sounds like like a rejected version of like Monster Mash. <laughs> right? Doesn't it sound like Monster Mash? Totally does. I'm getting William Shatner vibes from this. Like, is this done ironically? And right here, Debbie Harry on the backing vocal. It's Debbie Harry. It, it, it feels like, you know how back when we used to develop pictures mm-hmm. you could that like you could develop pictures like on top of other pictures by accident like two roles can be developed together this sounds like two songs were developed together like the Debbie Harry version and Dee Dee Ramone or Dee Dee King or whatever he's going by yeah, he's going by Dee Dee King on this track you gotta get that right homeboy if I was BB King I would have like made it very much known like he didn't say BB King he said Dee Dee King I want no part of this song no association to your point about Debbie Harry this the worst guest cameo of all time like what a waste of debbie harry yeah absolute waste you can't even tell that's her now this <laughs> the wrapping on this makes vanilla ice look like suge knight <laughs> right <laughs> but i mean look at this point dd ramon coming out of rehab in the the late 80s he sounds like what he is by this point, and that's um, an aging lout latching onto this hot new trend rap with a little understanding of what makes it work. But yet somehow Dee Dee has enough like charisma and is like a bit of a lunk here. It's charming enough where the results are more like funny than they are painful to me. You know? Yeah, it's, it's try hard. It's, it's certainly funny. It's this sounds it's like there's a restaurant. <laughs> there's a restaurant in North Halden, kind of near where I live. And um, they, they would, on Thursdays, they'd have the owner play keyboards and they'd have this one guy who they called the Count who would come up, literally, <laughs> and he would come up and sing like standards, like over piano. And I was never sure whether it was meant as a joke, but it all sounded like this shit. This is the type of type of stuff that they would do, minus Debbie Harry. It would just be like, like this pre-recorded like MIDI track with this terrible vocal over it. Everyone's got one of them in their local restaurant. Coming down and see, you know, Johnny Weisenberg play they, play your favorites. Gall to like <laughs> act like this is some sort of treat and attraction. Like, come on down. Drew is gonna be by on through. Who fucking cares about Drew? <laughs> no Drew <one>. sucks. <laughs> Put his picture on like there, like that's gonna help things. This is what I call or what's been known as uh, try and rap. Like Rodney Dangerfield make rapping Rodney, Brian Wilson doing smart girls, like the spirit of Tommy Wiseau is really here in the creative process and the lyrics. You just feel it on that. Yeah, so needless to say, I do highly recommend you go out and check out D.D. King's full album called Standing in the Spotlight. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, but he, he ended up passing away. He struggled with drugs the whole time, his, his whole life, I should say. And passed away in 2002 of a heroin overdose. D.D. Ramon did, but... I think there's only one Ramon left, actually. Marky, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. He's, he's on Cameo. That's the only reason I know that. <laughs> oh, God. All right, we need a palate cleanser after that. This one could work. <laughs> oh, boy. One of the greatest, most identifiable riffs in rock history. It's from 1980's Blizzard of Oz. Reached nine in the U.S. It's Ozzy in Crazy Train. Jay, did you think this song is more iconic than anything he did in Black Sabbath? 
Iconic? Yes. Tough call. I think just Black Sabbath existing and doing what they did was iconic enough. I don't know. We have to ask our friend Anthony Brucale. He's a, he's a good one to ask on this. We do. I mean, like for me, if it's like, what's the song that defines? That's a, maybe a better way to put it. What song defines Ozzy? Is it this? Is it Iron Man? Oh, man, that's tough. I mean, that's I don't know. That's apples and oranges to me as a, as a guy who likes rock. Um, when I think of Ozzy, I think when I think of Ozzy music, I think of this song. Yeah, I hope that helps. Your no, it does. That's that's what, pretty much what in a roundabout way. That's how you, we should be answering the question. What do you think of when you think of this artist? Yeah, this is the first single Ozzy released after leaving Sabbath in '78. It was smart of Ozzy to team with former Quiet Riot guitarist Randy Rhodes, who yeah. does all the heavy lifting on this song. <laughs> he does, yeah. But Ozzy wrote the melody, uh, the way things sound lyrically, let's just say. And Randy came up with the riffs and the chords for this one. Speaking of iconic, this this album had other iconic Ozzy songs on it. Goodbye to Romance, I Don't Know, Mr. Crowley. So big solo hits for Ozzy. Sure. Um, to come out of the gate with this. Yeah. What a what a start coming off of Black Sabbath, very different. So, but speaking of Black Sabbath, Sweet Leaf was the first song I ever played on drums with a band. Was it the last one too? <laughs> <laughs> I hope anyway. I was twelve years old, and there I was. My first song I ever learned on drums was a song about pot. <laughs> so I none of us had any idea. We were practicing to play in a talent show. We never, thankfully, we never made the talent show. <laughs> thought it was show. a song about autumn. It, yeah, just, just lovely Sweet foliage. <laughs> so JD, we, uh, for those who don't know, what Ozzy is one of the main things he's known for is uh, biting the head off a bat by accident. Uh, we just passed the 40th anniversary. It was about a month ago. The infamous bat story. Oh, nice. So, so this is from an interview. So apparently, uh, Ozzy would throw raw meat at the audience back in like the late 70s, early 80s, and then people would throw random things back. And Ozzy said, I quote, I thought it was hilarious. They throw back sheep testicles, live snakes, dead rats, all kinds of things. And apparently that night in Des Moines, Iowa, someone threw a live bat. Um, I thought it was a rubber bat, picked it up, put it in my mouth, crunched down, bit into it. Uh, being the clown that I am, and he realized he made a big mistake, and then he had to get rabies shots. The biggest question I have is, how the hell do you throw a live thing that flies and have it land on stage? Yeah, that's a, that's a great arm. <laughs> unless he had, unless they clipped its wings or something. But what bizarre? I mean, bizarre people going to that show. The theme of this song, though, the subject matter of the lyrics is poignant right now. It's about the Cold War and. The fear of annihilation that that existed during this period of the 80s. Basically saying that the political leaders manipulate the thoughts and feelings of the masses uh, for their own greedy and destructive purposes, kind of like war pigs. And then how the mass media then spreads these lies, creating mass hysteria. We're living these lyrics now more than era, sure so ever. Are. Excuse me. We're all aboard the crazy train right now from that perspective. But in terms of influence, though, you're right. I mean, this song didn't chart tremendously well. Um, really didn't have a place on too much radio at this time, right? This is something that sounded like this in the early 80s. But it became one of Ozzy's signature songs, launched the album Blizzard of Oz, launched Ozzy towards media domination. Um, you know, the help of his wife, Sharon. Right. Uh, went he on. had everything he needed to be successful on his own. Yeah. 
I mean, he ended with up his wife, but yeah, you know, putting that Ozfest festival together, starting their own reality show. Not bad for a British heavy metal singer. I give yeah. him that. Well, he had he has a lot of personality. Yeah, which helps his types of his kind of uh, gregarious nature lends itself to you know being in a reality show. All right, up next on the Perfect Playlist, Going Solo, former Smiths member Morrissey in 1994 had this one, The More You Ignore Me, The Closer I Get. The Closer I Get, You're Wasting Your Time. God, this track hit me so hard in my formative years, JD. Mm. Like, really hard. This is, like, this was legit, like, a maybe top 10 fringe song of the 90s for me. Wow, that's yeah. bold. It's high. I mean, it was on mixtapes and and all that stuff. It hard to grasp, but this was like really the end of like his chart success as a solo artist. Yeah, I think I don't know what came out first, this or that song tomorrow. At least in the states, Smiths weren't really a chartable band. Um, this song reached number forty six. Yep. So it didn't do so hot. Tomorrow did okay. I think a little better chart wise, but this song is probably a little bit more memorable here in the United States. Yeah, I mean, he's more he's mostly known now for like just canceling shows. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and political reasons, but yep. But Morrissey, former lead singer of The Smiths during the 80s, after the band split in 87, Morrissey started his solo career uh making the top 10 of the UK singles charts on 10 occasions. So, doing fine overseas, but as a teenager to your point, bro, I connected with The Smiths as well. Uh, there's nothing really cool about liking them or The Cure at the time when I liked them. Right. You know, you were seen as weird or different or not my term, but, you know, a bit of a pansy if you liked The Smiths back in the early 90s as, sure. as people were apt to dub you. But despite despite what you went through then, like, I have no regrets. Like, I really enjoyed the moody music and, and things that Morrissey and The Smiths brought. This, we all need music that speaks to us on some level and, and allows us to, like... It pulls emotions out of us and makes us feel seen in a way. And um, this song was all about, you know, the feeling of, like, I want you to recognize me and I want you to see me, but you're not seeing me. So, you know what? I'm going to take the power back by writing these lyrics about how the more you do that, the closer I'm going to get, which is kind of counterintuitive, right? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. But this was empowering for me as somebody who you know, didn't have the confidence to go talk to that person that I wanted to talk to or be a popular kid. And like this song was a way for me to like, as like an kind of a, an unset F you to the people who didn't have me in their lives. That's interesting. Cause I, I view this from the lens of someone whose approach just is never going to work. Uh, like a, uh, insecure kind of creepy stalker person. <laughs> well, no, making, there's that. There's that too, for sure. Okay. Yeah. So like making, I trans- making the relationship, like the center of their world only you know what i mean yeah and it uh, is pretty much if you take it at face value yes and why wouldn't you like that's certainly what like, what it's about that's what it seems like but i kind of i focused more on what what was relatable to me in in those moments but yeah. certainly it can certainly be construed as this is a creepy stalker guy who wants you to focus on him and only him <laughs> and marcy was great at very being very deliberate and direct with with what he was singing about. So I do have a friend of mine that sees him when he comes here in the States and he'll just cancel a show day of like that kind of thing. So he's just in his own orbit, Morrissey yep. and, and truly an enigma. 
many, many ways. Speaking of somebody in their in their own orbit and an enigma, <laughs> here's another example of a song where we don't think going solo worked quite so well. <laughs> yeah, this is Bon Jovi, John Bon Jovi, excuse me, uh, the singer from Bon Jovi. Ay, 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 from his second solo album, which no one asks for, Destination Anywhere, 1997, this is Midnight in Chelsea. Kids around here look just like sticks. You trade old licks with a beat up six. I just smile and catch the groove. Got the girls all dressed in black. Serious as heart attacks. It takes a little bit of getting used to. The old man with the whiskey stains. Lost the night, forgot his name. His poor wife was super alone again. It ain't hard to understand Why she's holding on to her own hair It's midnight in Chelsea <laughs> Like, just listen to this I want you to listen to how terrible This Is this, is this like, um, is this John Bon Jovi doing like the high Doing the high la 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 Or is this, is this a woman? I can't, I can't tell, tell either what's going on It sounds like goats fucking <laughs> <laughs> But like, this is from a, an album called Destination Anywhere, as you know to JD. But I wish he had been more specific because this destination went right in the shitter. And it is just, I mean, a song so bad that not even Bon Jovi would cradle it in its own arms and call it its own. Like he had to go off on his own with this one. This is his second solo album, as I said. But Blaze of Glory for John Bon Jovi was a triple platinum smash. In 1990. Yeah. It was his first solo effort. However, the world would have to wait seven more years for this turd to get flushed down the toilet into your ears. Midnight in Chelsea. Ugh. So when I looked this up on the Google, <laughs> it's listed as alternative indie rock. Oh, yeah. Which, oh, which, yeah. Which feels like something the characters in Coming to America might say. Try to fit in. <laughs> like, we like indie music. We like the John Bon Jovi. This song went to number four in the UK, though. Four? Yeah. I feel bad for those Brits. They must have needed some love. Oh, man. So in looking up the song, the other song that pops up alongside this is Midnight in Chernobyl, um, which wow. actually sounds like a better option after hearing this song. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And then if you're bon, if you're John Bon Jovi. La, 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 la. I just can't take it anymore. <laughs> Sorry, you're going. Like, how do you, and you're, you're in Bon Jovi, how do you lose Sambora? I mean, I understand there were some issues there, this and that, but Sambora just up and left. John Bon Jovi, to this day, I don't even think knows why. I, I think this song might have done it. <laughs> Hearing this, Sambora's like, what the fuck is my, my dude doing? This is a friendship ender right here. I can, I can just imagine, like, the producer trying to get John not to include this, this chorus. It's that it's that bad. And you know who produced this? Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics. Really? Yep. He was staying. John was staying with Dave Stewart at the time when they wrote this together. John was enjoying his stay uh, because no one there knew who he was and no one was bothering him. <laughs> <laughs> and so then he, he wrote this with Dave Stewart. Isn't that weird? That is perplexing, to say the least. My God. But John Bon Jovi, personal friend of Patriots owner, Mr. Massage himself, Mr. Happy Ending himself, Robert Kraft. He, he also tried to buy the bills. 
did Don Bon Jovi try to buy the Bills? Yeah, you didn't you didn't hear about that? This was like maybe uh-uh. five years ago. Okay. And there was an outrage because apparently Donald Trump had leaked information that he was going to move the Bills out of Buffalo. That John Bon Jovi was going to Yeah, move which bills? wasn't true. I mean, they've been talking about that for a little while, moving them to Toronto and things like that. Yeah. Um, that's been on the, uh, not until recently, but, you know, in the 2000s it's been talked about. But still. <laughs> John Bon Jovi makes me want to move out of New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, I just want to move to Canada. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah, us too, uh, Deep Row and I, New Jerseyans. We don't live that far from, actually, we're, I am five minutes down the road from where Bob and Dan from the Throwback Podcast lived. Pearl River. Five That's minutes, right. You're close, man. Five minutes right down the road from Pearl River. So when they drop those Pearl River jokes on the Throwback Pod, I, I absolutely get what they're saying. Oh, I pop for those big time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Enough of John Bond Boner. Coming up next, we've got our second to last song on the Going Solo playlist. Belinda Carlisle, former Go-Go singer. The second single from Belinda's second album, Heaven on Earth. This one went to number two in the Hot 100 in 1987. Here's I Get Weak. When I'm with you, I shake inside. My heart's all tangled up. My tongue is tied. Man, she makes me weak, Shady. It's crazy. Yeah, same. But I feel like I missed, I kind of missed the... The creepy boat on Belinda Carlisle. Really? Because, well, for me, like, it's kind of the same way I did with Susanna Hoffs because I was like seven or eight years old and she was at her peak. Okay. Yeah, so you you missed peak Hoffs and peak Carlisle. Yeah. I feel bad for you, man. Those are two big ones. I was now very... I can just look back, but I'm like, it's not the same thing. Yeah, I was like 11 at this time, so I was very aware. Yeah. And very into it. Belinda That's Carlisle. That's perfect for you. That's perfect for an 11 year old JD. Yeah, I'm Not so much for like a seven and a half year old uh, D-Pro. I mean, back in the 80s as an 11 year old, you're still frightened of girls? I wasn't frightened, but I wasn't like, I didn't have like this animalistic pull to them <laughs> that I would like a few <laughs> years later. Oh man. I the, the lead single off this album was Mad About You, but I just, I put this on here and I'm glad you called it out because of the way she sings this song. It's just so captivating. Yeah. I, I like, I hear this song i hear the way she sings it and it makes you feel like she's singing to you belinda carlisle is one of my favorite voices in music history yeah it just she has something if if you don't know what she looks like which is beautiful but um that's besides the point she just has this attractiveness to her voice she has like this sultry quality to her voice yes Uh, so apparently this song was written by the wonderful diane warren Mm -hmm. who also wrote i don't want to miss a thing uh, originally intended this for Stevie Nicks. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Which you can absolutely hear. Yes, because, and that's interesting you bring that up, because <laughs> when she recorded it with Diane Warren, um, they decided it was missing a little something. So they re-recorded the entire vocal track while Diane Warren was beating on Belinda's chests in a Tarzan fashion like that. What? Yep. Listen you sure that Diane just didn't want to touch her tits? I swear to God. But if you think about, <laughs> if you think about the way Stevie Nicks sings, it's kind of close to that. Uh, that Stevie Nicks does. If that's what it takes, though, like, hey, Deep Pro, we need you to sound a little bit more like Stevie Nicks. Let's but listen here. Your chest. The, uh, she's like kind of sustaining. Are you sure she wasn't singing into an oscillating fan? <laughs> <laughs> 
I am Darth Vader. Everyone used to do that <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah. That was fun. But yeah, beat it. But her voice is so alluring. Like, as I said, it makes me feel as if she's singing directly to me. This is expertly done bubblegum. Very simplistic song here. But again, you put a different singer in these shoes, maybe other than Stevie Nicks. It doesn't carry this well. No, you're this, right. This song is probably not a hit. Yeah, I like I like to think about those things. Like, what if it had been somebody else? Yeah, probably not a hit without with a less powerful or um, singer without that presence. But maybe the only other artist I think that could have pulled this off was um, the Heights. <laughs> <laughs> Little Jay Walters. <laughs> yeah, her group, the Go Go's. You know, in the early '80s, they were an influential female like. I don't know, not punk, but like a, a driving rock kind of band. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how to put it. But their debut album went to number one. But by their third album in 84, they definitely lost their touch. Not enjoying each other's company. There's like a number of like behind the music-esque videos on them and each of their stories and testimonials. So like the personality conflicts, creative differences, drug abuse. I mean, they had it all. Yep. You know, so when they split in 85, Carlisle remained signed to the label. Label, smart move by the label, keeping her on board. Yeah, you think? And then teamed her with Diane Warren, very high-end musicians from the label. and Fantastic career. Now she released a slew of songs in the 90s, all UK hits. We're big on UK on this episode. Yeah, seriously. Put out a memoir. She still tours. In fact, a mutual friend of ours named Charles. <laughs> Charles, yeah. Actually has lunch with her and her son anytime she's in town playing. God, I didn't realize they were that close. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They get each other gifts anytime they see one another. I miss Charles. Yeah, he's great. Love hearing from that guy. Yes, and he's always like front row at all her concerts. That I've seen. I've seen him post the pictures. Yeah. (laughs) But I thought this was like a stalker situation. I didn't know. Are you sure that like... When he has dinner with her and her kid, are they at the same table? And is there like a is there like a plant between them? He's peeking out the plant, <laughs> grabbing the mozzarella stick. Rounding out our playlist, someone we just mentioned. It's Stevie Nicks, former Fleetwood Mac Mac member, and here is Edge of Seventeen. It's Ric Flair's favorite song. I'm gonna I'm gonna confess something to you right now, JD, because I already confessed to you earlier that I'd never seen train spotting. This one might be an even crazier admission. Just this morning I realized that she she was not singing the the lyrics in the chorus. I thought she was singing. I thought she was singing Uh just like that one window. Oh. I thought of like, why is she singing about a window? I don't even care because I love the song so much. But it's apparently just like the one winged dove. White winged dove. I thought it was one winged dove. Oh. Are you sure? We might both be stupid. I, I don't know. I thought it was white. <laughs> well, let's let, we're gonna listen, let's yeah. listen to it and see if we can figure it out live here. White is right, D Pro. <laughs> hey, watch out! I didn't oh, know we were backing I didn't up into mean that. It that way. You. Where's your mind going? Let's see if we can here figure we it out. I think it's white. I don't know. Would you say wide? One. Like one wing dove. Oh, no, it's white. This dove that's trying to fly, but it's one wing. One wing dove. <laughs> Sings the song, sounds like she's hurting. <laughs> it's a one wing dove. <laughs> that, that would make it. 
<laughs> interesting and makes the story more complex if the dove has one fucking pin. <laughs> a one-winged dove. So imagine uh, you get married and then you're walking out the church down the steps and they throw a bunch of doves in there. They all got one wing. Maybe, <laughs> They'll fucking maybe, drop. Maybe that's how the guy from the crazy train... Maybe that's how the guy at the Ozzy show got the bat on stage. It only yeah. had one wing, maybe. That's that's all you, that one. But uh. Uh, so, how do you feel about Stevie's voice? A lot of people don't like it. No, I think it's cool, man. I think it's great. I don't think you know anyone could pull off Dreams or Sarah or uh, you know songs like that. Landslide. I'm cool. I'm cool. Man, landslide. Yeah, yeah, another great one. I no, I, I I dig it. What's what's the knock against her voice? It's, it's a little it's too, the, too vibrato. It's a little too vibrato. There are moments in her live stuff where I'm like, eh, leaning into it a little bit too much. It does okay. feel like the oscillating fan thing going on. <laughs> oscillating uh, fan thing. It's, it's a little Tiny Tim. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But this song, Edge of 17, third single from Stevie Nicks' chart-topping debut album, Belladonna. Belladonna, baby. The song reached number 11 in the U.S. spring of 1982. But she was still in Fleetwood Mac, much like uh, Phil Collins was still in Genesis when he released his solo album. She was still in uh, Fleetwood Mac, just kind of needed a needed a break, needed to do her own thing and step away from, I think, you know, broke up with Lindsey Buckingham around that time and needed to come out and do her own thing. So apparently, like, the lyrics are written by Nix to, like, express grief uh, about her the death of her uncle. Okay. Uh, and also about the the assassination of John Lennon, which had happened like the year before. Okay. Or like maybe less than a year before. So, um, yeah, I didn't know about that until I was researching for the show. So pretty interesting stuff. So The Edge of 17 was actually the third single off the album. The first two were duets. Stop Dragging My Heart Around with Tom Petty mm. and Leather and Lace with Don the Henley. aforementioned Don Henley. Yeah. Whom she also dated, Don Henley. She dated a lot of men, huh? Which I heard some... Dark ass story. I'm not 100% sure how true it is. So I will just say this is a- allegedly the song Sarah is about the baby she needed to abort that she got pregnant with Don Henley. Now I got to listen to that song through right. a new set of ears. Yeah. So she purposely did not want to become a mother. She said that she's a mother to all these modern day singers and artists and things. She likes to think of her that self as a mother in that sense alone. Okay. That's fucking weird. Right. But. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, the stat story with with Henley isn't an alleged story. I, I can't say I know that as a fact for liable reasons. <laughs> so let's talk about the most interesting, the, the most important um, bullet point of this. This was really just the, the this was the catapult for uh, Beyonce's career, right? Oh, you think she so? Went to, not really, but she went on to do this, with, <laughs> uh, to do Bootylicious with Destiny's Child, right? Deep Row, can you handle this? One Winged Dove, can you handle this? <laughs> See, there's no, like, questioning what that song was about. Like, this song, like, I'm like, there's a window, there's, like, a dove that's missing a pin. Like, what's going on here? Missing a pin. But Nix has always ended her concerts with this song. This is her staple closer, which I like that. You close on, you get the... Crowd amps. Yeah, yeah, I you like don't that. Close on a ballad or something, right? You, you keep them, keep them wanting more. You know, leaving full of adrenaline and. Knowing- She's on my list. I want to, I want to see her live. I okay. still, I still want to see her live. She still got it, man. She can still do it. The reason that she did those duets was the previous two duets was they didn't think there was a hit on this album at all. Really? So they put those two duets out first, made her record those. Well, maybe you shouldn't be singing songs about one wing doves. 
and you'll be you'll be more confident in your ability to produce a hit. So that'll do it for us today, man. I want to thank everyone who listened. Uh, if you haven't, give us that five star review. Wish us a happy birthday on Apple, for God's sake. This month we're celebrating that one year of podcast under the perfect playlist banner. Got anything else before we sign off, JD? Uh no, man. Just about to go spend my midnight in Chelsea and. <laughs> Uh, Whatever the fuck that means. Follow, follow, <laughs> follow us. That sounds sexual. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter at the Perfect PL. On Instagram at the Perfect Playlist Pod. And remember, never be ashamed of going solo in life. You still need socialization, but don't be afraid to go out on your own. I'm gonna stop here. See you next time in the Perfect Playlist.